there's a long and interesting story about the inter-hospital jealousies and the long delay in them deciding to have a full-time chair of medicine in Melbourne. Because you see the Melbourne Hospital, the Royal Melbourne, the Alfred and Prince Henry's were the three teaching hospitals mm -hmm. at the time. They were all bitterly jealous of each other. And while it was, they decided it was respectable, indeed essential, to keep up with the Joneses and have full-time professors of medicine and surgery, they couldn't agree which hospital it should go to, and that delayed the creation of a chair for some time. Then in about 1954, the um, post was advertised. George showed it to me, and he said, you know, uh, Dick, I think this is probably the most exciting opening in academic medicine uh, that I know of at this time. Uh, he said it's much more exciting than, a, than, than an English provincial university. Well, the period you've been there, you know, 55 to 83, was a very significant yeah. period, wasn't yeah. it? Well, my basic remit was to start a department of medicine, and one of the main things I was told to do was to, uh, my main function was to create a milieu in Melbourne that would stop the best young clinicians from going and settling overseas because they went opportunities for them to do clinical research in Melbourne. Mm. That was quite clearly the single most important long-term vision. The Melbourne uh, treated me extraordinarily kindly and I think very generously and properly all about board. They're very businesslike and uh, so therefore easy to work with. Uh, and they I would say, help me in every way uh, that I asked for help, except in the facilitation of a flow of patients to me. Uh, while they were generous in all the physical things, I had absolutely no difficulty in, in uh, beginning to attract good staff, and the research side was fine, the teaching side was fine, because I was a good teacher, and therefore it was quickly appreciated, and I loved teaching. But, um, when it came to patients, there was this whole uh, only staff view that, uh, you know, we're the experts and uh, yes. uh, he's uh, got to attract his own. And a substantial proportion of patients at the Melbourne in those days used to come uh, through the private practices of the honorees. Mm. They'd see someone down in their rooms at Collins Street or Parliament Place and, and then admit them to one of their public beds at the Melbourne. So yes. they tended to have a, a very interesting cross-section of, mm. of uh, patient material. Whereas I was entirely dependent on what came in through casualty. Yeah. When I came to the Melbourne, the only internal medicine specialty was endocrinology mm. that Pincus Taft uh, ran. And you see there was no cardiology such. Oh, neurology obviously was established under most distinguished chap, Graham Robinson. The neurology isn't, I don't regard it as part of general medicine, but within general internal medicine, endocrinology, well, and neurology if you like, the established. But the, the specialist departments at the Melbourne, I think, were all, except hematology, fathered by my unit, my developing unit. The uh, cardiology department, um, Clive Fitz got some money and we, I made laboratory spe 
space available to a chap called O'Brien and then to Alan Gogol. In endocrinology, although it was established, it had no laboratory, so I made a little bench space available to, to Skip Martin. Uh, respiratory medicine, when Brian Gandivia came back from overseas, and all these young chaps wanting to go on with research they've been doing overseas, I gave Brian facilities to do microscopies. In gastroenterology, uh, I got Dick Smallwood going. Oh, Ken Merton in rheumatology. I think it's true to say that apart from rheumatology and neurology, that really all the special departments, things that became especially special departments at the Melbourne, grew out of the original university department of medicine.